chapter number 16. I want to say this while you're turning there again. I appreciate uh, the privilege to be here. appreciate the opportunity to be here. And I appreciate this place, these days together. These days are days of uh, help for me. And I appreciate that so much. The men of God that are here always come with something from heaven. And I appreciate that. And I definitely don't want to be any different. It does, <clears throat> be honest with you, uh, weigh upon me these days because of the uh, gravity of the times that we're living in. I, I want to say this, if there was never a time that we took the things of God seriously, it ought to be today. And I'm, I'm concerned with the fact that we are, uh, I don't say ignorantly, but I think that would probably be the word, that word ignorant just means to be without knowledge and understanding that we are sometimes ignorantly confounded and controlled by the things of this life. I recently began reading again the diaries of David Brainerd that were put together by Jonathan Edwards, compiled by Jonathan Edwards. This morning I was reading through his letters, and uh, <clears throat> I was reading through a letter that he had written to his brother Israel uh, when he was at school in Yale on December the 27th of 1743. And this is what, I'm just taking excerpts from this letter that he wrote, <clears throat> and I, to be honest with you, I didn't intend to have this as a part of the message, but it just seemed to fit with what the Lord began to deal with my heart last night about preaching. Uh, David Brainerd wrote to his brother, he said this, from a brother who is touched with a tender concern for your present and future happiness. Uh, that word concern, and you'll see how it unfolds in just a few minutes, uh, caught my attention. And what he did is he laid out five admonitions to his brother that he wanted to pass along to him. The first admonition was this, to daily endeavor to practice a life of seriousness and sobriety. You've got to understand, this is coming from a man who's living pretty much in what we would call the wilderness. He's living in a thatch-built hut with a mud floor. Uh, I, I wished, I started to bring the book, but the entire letter would have, would have taken too long, but it amazed me with... The, just the sense of uh, awareness that he wrote this letter to his brother. Number two, he said this. He said, make good improvement of precious time. Number three, he said, take heed that you faithfully perform the business you have to do in this world from a regard to God's command. He said, God's priorities should be your priorities. Number four, he said this, never expect any satisfaction or happiness from this world. Can I say something? We are living in days where everybody's looking for something to make them feel good. Fifthly, he said this, he said, Never think you can live too good by your own power and strength. But always look to rely on him for assistance. Yea, for all strength and grace. And if I were to put a verse with that, pretty much what he said is this. He said, that is in me dwelleth no good thing. 
He said, we need it all from him. He wrote this. He said, there's no greater truth than this, that we can do nothing of ourselves. Let it then be your great concern. There's that word again. And this is what got my attention this morning. Let it then be your great concern. Thus, to devote yourself and your all to God. I want to provoke your thoughts with a thought, then we'll go to Luke 16. I want to read one verse, and then I'll preach to you what the Lord's put on my heart for this morning. If I were to ask you and and make a statement that would set your mind, this is what I would say. Not do you care, but I would provoke the question, what do you care about? The Bible teaches us in the book of Luke, chapter number 16, and you know the story, and so I'm not going to take a lot of time elaborating there, but I believe I counted 13 verses that... uh, make up this uh, story and this, and I'll say, I'm using the word story because it's not a parable, but this instance of a man, two men who face the certainty of death, they die, and one is escorted into Abraham's bosom, the other in hell, he lifts up his eyes. Go to verse number 20, uh, verse number 25, if you would, and I want to read that one verse and then I'll preach to you. This morning on the thought that God has given me. And, and I want to say this. Don't perceive that I'm only preaching to lost people this morning because I'm not. Probably the entirety, the majority of the message will be to uh, those of us that are saved as much as those that are lost. But the Bible said this in verse number 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. And likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he's comforted and thou art tormented. We see contradictions here in this verse. The first contradiction, we see the good things and the evil things. But then secondly, we see a contradiction of this, of comforted and tormented. And so we find that there's a staggering difference the afterlife presents than the present life presented for both these men. The Lord will help me this morning. I want to preach to you on this thought. And I will say this, if you're here today and lost, it'd be a good day to get born again. Amen. Amen. Can I say something? As a, as, a, as a child of God, we ought to come to church every time. Every time we assemble. One expectation we ought to have is that somebody gets born again. Amen. And I'll be honest with you, and it ought to trouble us when somebody doesn't get born again. Because the fact of the matter is, is this, we've come real too comfortable with it not happening. Amen. I want to preach to you for just a few minutes on this thought, on living it up but losing it all. Living it up, but losing it all. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Lord, I need your unction from heaven to preach your word. Uh, God, as, uh, as Brother Brainerd presented to his brother, it's futile for me to try to work and, and, and perform in the power of my flesh. And God, it would be a performance, but God, there would be no importance to it whatsoever. So Father, help us now. Now, God, we're beginning these days together. I pray that, God, you speak. Every man of God would have liberty to preach and and power to preach. Every singer that would sing would have the touch of heaven. And, God, we would know that, God, we're hearing from you. And, God, you would bind the adversary. God, I pray for Brother Dodson and Miss Jackie that you bless them in their home. And, God, bless this family that you've called. Bless this church congregation. Lord, we need you today. God, there are people that need help from God. It's detrimental to their future. 
And God, these days could be days, God, that can make all the difference in their lives. And so, Father, we pray that you'd help us to be sensitive to your spirit. And God, that we would be mindful, uh, God, of the eternal importance that's here uh, in our presence. We love you and we thank you for loving us. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You'll find in the Bible a very familiar portion of Scripture that I've read to you, and it's the account of the men who die, and one goes to uh, Abraham's bosom, and the other one goes to hell. And the Bible said in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And there's several things that we could identify about hell, but I want to say some things about this man that died and went to hell. First of all, we see the prosperity of his life. We understand uh, that he was a rich man. And can I say this? There ain't nothing wrong with having money as long as money doesn't have you. Amen. Amen. I'll be honest with you. I, thought, I told my wife that obviously that's why the Lord won't let me have a whole lot. Amen. 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 And so he gives me what I need and keeps me in a place where I have to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. And so we find the reality of it is, is this, um, he fared sumptuously every day. He was clothed in purple. And finally, we see the prosperity of his life, the pleasure of his life, and the position in his life. And so these things all seem to be um, present in this man's life. But can I say this? These are all temporal. Can I say something? How many, how many of us, and how many of us, and myself included, do we get ourselves so entangled with things that are so temporal? I mean, they are so temporal. I, I, I've never gotten over it. I was preaching a, a, a youth camp several years ago in Sound Mountain, Georgia, and there was a missionary that, uh, that was there all week long, and he preached uh, during the day services, and, and, I, and I went in for the day service, and he was preaching, and he said something, and Brother Wells, I've never got past what he said. This is what he said. He said, the greatest failure in life is being successful at something that has no eternal value. Franklin Booth, still serving the Lord in Panama to this day. And, and, and I'm, I'm telling you, as a younger evangelist, I, I'm telling you, it, that rattled me deeply within because it caused me to evaluate everything in life. It caused me to evaluate my, my intentions and my, my attractions, it, and it still does to this day. And I'm afraid that we, we've labeled a lot of people as successful, and can I say this? Their success may be merited and, and recognized by this world, but it has no eternal value whatsoever. Amen. No eternal value whatsoever. And I'm telling you, and if you try to set yourself in a place where you focus on the eternal more than you do on the earthly, you'll be mocked. You'll be criticized. You will be considered uh, unrealistic in the day in which we live. But can I tell you something? The greatest problems in our churches is because we're so earthly minded that we're not heavenly minded. Amen. We see his prosperity in life. But can I say this? There was a price to his prosperity. Not only that, we see his pleasure in life. But can I say this? There was a plight to his pleasure. It came to an end. And I want to say this before somebody would, would, uh, would try to put words into my mouth. I, I'm not promoting that you have to walk around with a Bible clutch to your chest and, and you, you don't look to the left or the right and, and you're always quote. No, I'm not talking about that. Can I, and can I say this? And most time the people that do that are fake as a, as, a, as a $3 bill. I went to a wedding shower the other day. A young man that I know as a relative, of, a distant relative of, of, of a family member, and he called. He said, I want you and Miss Danette to come to our wedding shower. They had, they had I like this. I think it's a wonderful idea. I, think it, I wished I'd have known about this before because it would have happened when my children got married. 
They had a joint wedding shower, but they surrounded it by a barbecue. I thought, hey, man. I, I stepped up and I smelled that barbecue and I said, this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. Amen. <laughs> anyhow, I told my wife, I said, I would come to more of these if they were like this. And so anyhow, we, uh, we went in and we, were, we got settled in and they, we prayed and we was going through all, the, all the, the stuff. But as I was sitting there by the wells, there was a man come up and and, and we were, they had round tables, and we were sitting all the way back in this place that they had rented. And me and my wife and, and some of my, my kids were sitting there. And this man came up, and, he, uh, and he, <laughs> he tapped me on the shoulder, and then come around, and he, and he stuck his face. He said, are, are you a preacher, Piercy? I'm like, I am? Just like yelling at me? He said, I've heard about you. Man, it's awesome to meet you. And he went into all this... I don't know what to say. I'm trying to use my words carefully here. All of this um, stuff. That's as safe as I can think of right now. And anyhow, and so then he began to tell me who he knew and where he had been and, and all he had accomplished and, and all of that kind of stuff. And so anyhow, I was gracious. I spoke. I, I wasn't rude. I talked to him and and, uh, and uh, it had come time for our table to get up. And, and so he found it necessary just to go on and follow us on up with our family to our, and get in the line. And, and he was one of those kind of individuals that if somebody walked by and said to him, one, one fellow walked by and he said, he said, you hungry preacher? He said, well, you know what Jesus said, come and dine, come and dine. I mean, everything was an overinflated spiritual answer. I mean, everything he said, brother, I mean, it really got monotonous to once. I busted out laughing, and my wife said, stop it, stop it. And I said, I can't help it, because the more he talked, the funnier he got, because it was so fake. I mean, he made every kind of comparison. He made every kind of comparison. Can I say this? God's looking for some people that'll just be real. I'm not saying you've got to walk around and be something fake. You're not. And I want to say this, and I'm a fundamental independent Bible believer, and I make no apologies for that. But, but several of our folks that we, I love dearly have learned how to do that. They've got a lot of content in public, but they have no content in private. We see the plight of his pleasure come to an end. We see his position in life. But we see the plunge of his position. Uh, there's three things I want to identify about this man who died and went to hell. And really, I want to make the final comparisons to you and I as God's people. If you look in verse number 23, the Bible said this, and in hell. And I want to say this, by the way, this whole entire story about hell, I only find the word hell mentioned one time. The Bible said, and in hell... He lift up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus. But can I say this? Number one, we see a very clear belief in hell is acquired. 
and I'm going to say this because we've heard it, and I don't want to sound cliche when I say it, but I've read it from old writers. I've listened to old men of God preach, and even in the, in the day in which we live, preachers that I hear say this, and it's so true, but sometimes I think we've just become so comfortable and familiar with it that we just sort of let it fly over our heads. Can I say, if we really believed, if we really believed what we say we believe about hell, it would really change the way we live. Number one, we see a clear belief in hell. Can I say number one, we see his surety. It was a real place in hell. He lift up his eyes. Can I say something? There was a real sentence. The Bible said this, being in torments. Can I, can I say something? I, 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 have, I have dealt with some things in this life that have caused me a level of pain. I mean, you can't have 340-something kidney stones and not know a level of pain. Right now, now I'm into a place where I, I don't as much show pain outwardly as my body shows the results of pain. I, I, I had, I had a, a, a doubting nurse a couple weeks ago. I was in, I was preaching revival in South Carolina, ended up in the hospital. And I had a doubting nurse come in and I was laying there and, and, and she said, what's your pain level? I said, uh, about 227 right now. She said, well, you don't look like you're in a lot of pain. And then she took my blood pressure. My blood pressure was 186 over 120. She said, oh, you are in pain. I thought, if you don't get out of this room, so are you. Amen. That's what I, that's what I thought. I didn't say it. But can I say something? Uh, and, and some of you would know. Can I tell you something? Listen, I, I'm at a point in my, Brother Brian, I'm at a point in my life where things don't have to have a reason to hurt. Somebody look up here. Now, some of you don't know what I'm talking about. And I remember the days when I sat on a pew and I heard people make statements like that. And I thought, how dumb is that? I got up the other morning out of the bed, out of a good bed, out of a good, clean, soft, comfortable bed. I got up in the bed and, it, and I stood in front of a mirror and it looked like I had had a stroke during the night. My shoulder was pulled way up like this and I was having muscle spasms one after the other. I didn't do anything. It just started hurting. I stepped off a plane, April Fool's Day. Of course, if I'm going to celebrate a holiday, it'd have to be one stupid like that. April Fool's Day, I step off of a plane from Minnesota. I'm, going to, I'm supposed to get in a vehicle and drive five hours down into Mississippi and start a revival. I stepped off of a plane, and coming from Minnesota, stepped off of a plane, off an escalator, broke, fractured two bones, and ruptured a tendon in my foot. Stepping off an escalator. That hurt. Kidney stones hurt. My shoulder situation for two days, I walked around like this. I said, I know what stiff neck means now. Amen. Those were painful situations. But can I say this? Nobody under the sound of my voice probably will ever come to an understanding of knowing what torment is. I'm talking about the torment that we find this man is identified with knowing whenever he opened his eyes and lifted his eyes in hell. You say, preacher, what are you saying? As I'm saying this, hell has a way of doctrinally settling some things that this world is in a great amount of confusion about. We see the surety of hell, the sentence of hell, but then we see his sorrow in hell. In verse number 24, the Bible said this, uh, that he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. 
And so we see there is a, there is a, a sorrow that is noted in hell. And can I tell you something? More than likely the tears are from the pain and the anguish of that, he's, that he's dealing with. But, the, but there's fixing to be a brokenness that we're going to look at for just a few minutes. And that's what I want to preach to you about this morning. Number one, we see a belief in hell. Number two, we see a burden in hell. I want to identify two things. Number one, we see this burden. Verse number 27 he said this, he said, then I said, pray, I said, then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that I would have sent him to my father's house. Now, I'll be honest with you, for years, I want to say I looked over this, but in studying again to preach this message, I believe this, I believe there was a burden for his father's failure. Can I make a statement here? The first place you and I ought to come in a relationship and a knowledge and an understanding of Jesus Christ ought to be at home. I think I've told my story here. The first time I ever heard that Jesus loved me was in the basement of a Sunday school class at First Baptist Church of Parsons, Tennessee. Some of you have been privileged to know, to grow up with what it is to know, have a mama and a daddy that told you about Christ. You ought not ever take it for granted. Amen. You ought to ask God to forgive you if you have taken it for granted. Because it's one of the most precious things that you can have in this life. We see the failures of his father, but they don't say this. Not only his father's failure was a burden to him in hell, but his brother's future. Now, this is where I want to begin to, to make an application to you and I, those, those of us that are saved. It took dying and going to hell for him to come to a reality. And this is the statement that's made in verse number 28. He said this, for he said, I, he said for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torments. Can I say this? He didn't want anybody, much less five brothers to experience what he was experiencing. Somebody say amen right there. Can I tell you something? He is so clear. I mean, doctrine is no longer a question. The reality of hell is no longer debatable. The reality is he's clear. It's a real place. There's real pain. There's real torment. There's real sadness. There's real sorrow. There's no question about it. He knows it. And when he comes to an understanding, there's no more help for you. There's no more comfort for you. That word mercy that he cried out for is an impossibility for you. Then the first plea is about a father and five brothers that are coming to this very same place. And I could preach to men and, and try to make everybody feel guilty and everything like that, and I, and I can't do it, but God forbid that we would be men that would fail to make Christ a priority in our homes. Almost to the point that it's, I, I've heard it mocked and made fun of in pulpits because, because it was a cliche statement, WWJD. And, and I've heard preachers get up and mock and laugh and make fun of that. But the reality is, is that ought to be the evaluation of every situation that comes up in our lives. We ought to first consider what would Jesus do. We ought to first consider what has Jesus said. We ought to first consider what would please and glorify God. There have been a failure from fathers. There's, a, there's no doubt. I'm, I'm on social media, and I, sometimes I'm plagued by social media. The reality of it is, is I see the hours that people put into training their children, boys and girls alike, and to be superior in sports and athletics and all that kind of stuff to a point that it's overwhelming uh, and, 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 it's, and it's infiltrated into our churches. It's infiltrated into our churches. 
And we've come to a point where we're, there's such a competitive ideology and an influence that it's infiltrated this. And, and, and I'm talking about, I watched, a, I watched a, a man post a video the other day of his son. I mean, I'm talking about, a, a, I think he's 12, maybe, maybe 13. I don't think he's 13 yet, maybe 10 or 12 years old. And he, and he showed a picture of this gigantic weight thing that he's got in his garage. And his son, 10 or 12 years old, is out there doing squats with it. And because he wants him to be a better performer on the football field and that was the statement that was made because of the amount of weight that he was squatting and he and this is what was said said something to the effect of he said he said uh, that other team's going to know when he hits them Can I say something? There's nothing wrong with participating in sports. There's nothing wrong with being healthy. There's nothing wrong with lifting weights. But when your motive is more superior than pleasing and glorifying and accomplishing something for God, then we are failing in training in the right things. I wanted to reply and say, how much Bible study time have you had with him? How many scriptures have you memorized with him? How much prayer time have you had with him? But you say stuff like that, you're the bad person. I see a burden in hell. Number three, and I'm finished. We see a belief in hell, we see a burden in hell, but thirdly, we see a brokenness in hell. Look at verse 29 through 31. The Bible said, and Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. There's another doctrine that was amazingly cleared up when he got to hell. Repentance. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. I was looking through this again last night, and I began to circle some words, and, and I found that word, hear. And then, then, then again, you'll find it in verse number 31. And he said, if they hear not. But, but in verse 30, uh, the rich man says this. He says, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And this is what he's saying. He said, if they see. He said, if they see somebody come from the dead, they'll repent. And Abraham said, no. He said, if they hear. See, we're living in a day that, 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 that the church in the day in which we live is motivated by what it, what it can see. And that's what's happened with pulpits and platforms that we've started giving people something to see instead of something to hear. And I'm telling you, our anemic services are evidence of it. Our failing Christianity is evidence of it. Our shallow devotion is evidence of it. Our prayerless prayer is evidence of it. I was, I was looking the other day and, and I thought, unto God, when did we ever come to the place where we have to... Uh, Well, we have to have everything that the world has. We got to bring that to the church to make us successful. Our living is shallow. And can I say something? Because of our shallow, undevoted living, it causes shallow, undevoted Christianity. 
people that sit on the pew of a church three times a week and are not even really sure they're born again. You hear statements like this, brother. Well, I hope I make it in. Can I tell you something? In, 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 my, in my short 53 years of life, in my, my short years of Christianity, 30, I believe 38, I figured it up last night, 38 years of Christianity, 32 years of preaching the gospel. Can I tell you something? I've come to realize I've got to have something more than I hope to live on. You better have some things you know. The Bible said that you may know that you have eternal life. I was listening to one of the prince of preachers as far as I'm concerned, Brother Lester Roloff. And he made this statement. He said when he had those, those homes and boys and girls, and he said when they had to have counseling, Brother Wells, he said he would talk to them, and he, he said, you know, they're struggling about their salvation and this, that, and the other. He said one of the first things I would ask him, he said, well, how much time are you spending in your Bible daily? Well, how much time are you spending in prayer? And he said, he said I, I would venture out to say almost 100% of the young people, adults, men, the men's home, whoever it was I was talking to that were battling doubts and discouragements and defeats and all that kind of stuff were because they were trying to live the Christian life apart from Christ. We see a belief in hell. We see a burden in hell. But thirdly, we see a brokenness in hell. Can I say something? about this rich man the reality of it is is this if you're on this side of eternity there's still a potential for you to make a difference but the sad reality of this man is he went too far to make a difference now we've all seen this and, and if, as far as you preachers some of you younger preachers if you hadn't you will You'll be standing behind a pulpit somewhere and there'll be a dead body in front of you and, and there'll be people that you, you'll see them walk by a casket and they'll weep and they'll cry. Now, I, my, my preacher was old school. when he, he taught me when you preach a funeral, you get done, you come down and you stay at the head of that casket as the family, as everybody. You stay there. If they want to cry for an hour, you stand there because he said you are the, are the picture of God's man. He said you are there to help them. You are there to point them to Christ. You stay there. And I, I would stand, I've stood at the head of, of caskets and watched people almost turn a casket over. I've watched them had to pull people out. I've watched people try to get up in a casket with somebody, thinking that just getting close to them is going to bring them back. And then you'll be at a graveside or something afterward, and somebody will walk up and make this statement and say, Did you see old so and so? Yeah. So they hadn't even had no fellowship with that individual for 10 years. Man, if you would have just took what you saw, all the weeping and the wailing and the, oh man, what a display of compassion and concern. No, it wasn't. It was guilt. And I'm afraid too many times we live our lives in guilt because we wait too late to care. Preacher gets up and preaches about the, the ills of world, the depravity of politics, the wickedness of sin. Amen, amen, amen. That's right, preacher, that's right. But as long as it's not directly affecting us, we can pretty much live with it. But you let one of my children go astray. You let, you let some part of my life get flipped upside down. 
Then we want to get active and do something about it. But I'm afraid that too often we wait too late to make a difference. So here I start this meeting off and I question God about this. Are we going to go through five days, four days, every how many days of meeting and say, man, what a meeting. Man, you just had to be there. But it never changes us. I, I, I've read these letters, and I would challenge all you, especially you preachers, you need to get Jonathan Edwards' compiling of David Edwards' diaries and letters. And to read how he would write from a, from a weakened, sickened, what we would call destitute position. But he would write about the glories of God. But he was always clear to identify his own personal depravity. Can I say this? He would talk about going out and witnessing and preaching and, 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 and sharing the gospel. He said, but I feel I've made little avail today. But you know what he did the next day? He got up and he did it again. Hey, you may be sitting here and you may have the knowledge of all kinds of stuff. Hey, I'll be honest, you may, you may be able to take a, take a motor and, and tear it apart and put it back together and all that kind of stuff. Can I say this? If, you, if, you got, if you're having problems with your vehicle, don't come talk to me. The best thing I can do for you is, is, is give you the, the, the number down to the mechanic shop. That's about as much help as I'm going to be. You say, oh, Brother says we'll get you some good tools. I don't care how good of tools you get me. I don't know anything about it. I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. If you need something built, don't come to me. No. I listen, I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't put my dog under something I built. That's how much faith I've got in my talents and abilities. What matters it if we assail in the standards of this world and we fail to care? We fail to care. It's 26 minutes and 55 seconds. That's a miracle. I want to read something to you. When I waste my time in vanity to wander here and there, I hear my Savior speak to me. Do you really care? When my complaints of simple tasks resound for all to hear, Christ's burdens born should be my joy through every gifted year. Should I weep or should I whine as sacrifices come? Little here is asked of me compared to 